Hey folks, Andy Patton here talking about Courtney Vandersloot's quest for the WNBA's all-time assist record and what that means for her legacy and Gonzaga's legacy in the first segment. And we're also looking at the four Zags playing in the MLB and previewing Tuesday's big-time bout against Oregon for the Gonzaga baseball program, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. And I want to thank all of you as well who have checked out the show on YouTube. Up over 650 subscribers now trying to get to 1,000 before the start of the college basketball season. We are well on our way. If you are a listener of this podcast and you have yet to do so, very simple. Just go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags. You'll see that big orange subscribe button. Hit that and you will earn immense amounts of gratitude from me which is worth something, I hope. (laughs) All right, so we're going to move on into the first segment. This is a question that was asked for Mailbag Monday that I unfortunately missed, but I'd been wanting to talk about Courtney Vandersloot and the start of the WNBA season, so I've decided to turn it into an entire segment here on Tuesday. The question came from Stephen DeWitt via Twitter DM. Stephen said, Will Courtney Vandersloot catch Tisha Pinay... Pineshia for, ooh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, I apologize, for second in all-time assists for the WNBA this year. So yeah, so Courtney is on pace to potentially be at least third, potentially second all-time in assists in the WNBA behind Sue Bird, whose record is very unlikely to be broken, certainly not going to get caught anytime soon. Right now, Sue Bird, who who is still active and playing for the Seattle Storm, uh, has 3,073 career assists. Again, a number that is continuing to climb, but is still 400 more than second place, which is Pineshia for. She has 2,600 Assist Lindsay Whalen is third with 2,345. And as of today, Tuesday the 17th, Courtney Vandersloot is fourth with 2,203 assists to her name. So the question is effectively how far can Courtney make it up the list this season and can she get into second place? Currently, Courtney, through just the first three games of the WNBA season, is averaging 8.3 assists per game. However, it's fairly reasonable to assume that her assist numbers will stay somewhere in that range. She has averaged eight or more assists every single season since 2017, which is absolutely staggering. She was over 10 assists one season. I believe she's been over nine nine assists per game twice. At least she has been over eight assists per game every single season for the last half decade. An incredible accomplishment for her. She's got about 30 games left on the schedule for the WNBA. They play much shorter seasons than in the NBA. They play about 33 games per season. Uh, Assuming that she averages roughly eight assists per game over the next 30 games, that is 250 assists which puts her at 2,453, which would be well ahead of Waylon 
for third place all time, but would put her below Panesia for for second place of all time. I don't think she's going to get there this year. If we're being completely honest, it would take a staggering season in order for her to move all the way into second place. She is 397 short currently the all time record for most assists in a single season in the WNBA is 300, which was set in 2019 by Courtney Vandersloot. In fact, the second place for most assists in a single season was set in 2021 by Courtney Vandersloot at 275. And third place for most assists in a single season is 258, set in 2018 by Courtney Vandersloot. She is number one, number two, and number three in single season assists all time in the WNBA. And tremendous accomplishment for her, all of those coming in the last four years. She has established herself as the best the most premier point guard in the WNBA. Is she going to get all the way into second place this season? Almost certainly not. It would require the greatest passing season in the history of the WNBA, and I just don't think that that is necessarily in the cards for her this year. Not just the greatest passing season, but nearly 100 assists more than has ever been done in a single season before. I believe I did the math, and she would have to average about 13 assists per game for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's not going to happen, but Courtney is 32 years old. She has been strikingly healthy throughout her entire career. I was going to say collegiate career, but collegiate and professional career. Uh, and there's she only needs to play th- probably three more seasons, probably only two more seasons uh, in order to get into second place. Getting into first place is, I don't want to say impossible, but... Probably not going to happen for Courtney because Sue Bird is still putting up numbers. She's probably not going to play a whole lot longer, but Courtney would have to play another six seasons, probably maybe five seasons to catch Sue. Uh, It's possible. Again, Courtney's 32. Sue Bird is over 40 and continuing to play. Diana Taurasi, I believe, is 40 and is continuing to play. So Courtney could play another five, six years. If that were the case, then there's a very reasonable chance she would compete with Sue Bird for the all-time assist record. It's one of those things that is it's a fun fact that I absolutely love that Gonzaga has the best current passer in the WNBA and the single season assist leader in the WNBA. And then, of course, in the NBA, they have John Stockton, who's the all-time leader in assists, was one of the most prolific passing point guards in the history of the NBA or of basketball in general. And he did most of his damage, obviously, in the NBA for the Utah Jazz, for him and Courtney Vandersloot to be basically the most prolific passers in the NBA and the WNBA is a pretty tremendous accomplishment and something that I think uh, Gonzaga should be extremely proud of. I'm excited to see how Courtney's season shakes out this year for the Sky. They are 2-1 and one so far on the young season. Uh, she's been fantastic, again, averaging 8.3 assists per game. Uh, the Sky are repeating, are looking to repeat, excuse me, as WNBA champions. Uh, they won the WNBA championship last year. A pretty surprising run for them. I believe they were a six seed entering the playoffs and managed to pull off a couple of upset victories to get all the way to the championship game. They have their big three back, which is Courtney Vandersloot, her wife, Allie Quigley, who's one of the greatest shooters in the WNBA currently, and Candace Parker, who's, of course, an all-time great and one of the best WNBA and women's basketball players of all time. Those three players are all all back 
in the mix for the sky. They also have Dana Evans, who is looking like a breakout candidate. She's 23 years old. She was a second round pick last year. This is her first full season with the sky. Again, it's only three games, but she's averaging just under 15 points per game. If she truly breaks out as their fourth star uh, and another scorer for them, and Emma Meesman, who's also having an outstanding season with Meesman and Dana Evans having good years, as well as the big three of Sloot, Quigley, and Candace Parker, the sky are in a really good position. They could very reasonably repeat here as WNBA champions. And if Courtney is a two-time WNBA champion while also being one of, if not the most prolific passer in the WNBA, her spot is already cemented in the Basketball Hall of Fame. She's been one of the greatest greatest point guards in the history of the league, one of the greatest women's point guards of all time. But it'll be interesting to see what her legacy looks like if she is able to win that second championship. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to take a look at the Zags, who are currently playing in the MLB as the big league season continues on. We're even going to discuss a few other guys who could end up being in the big leagues at some point as the year rolls on. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Summer is coming. And with the summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars? They're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bar, you can have both. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? We're going crazy for the puffs. They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories. Sign me up. If that's not enough flavor for you, then you might want to try the Mixed Box. The Mixed Box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com to get all your favorites. Banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, and so many more. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Built.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're pivoting over to discuss the four Zags, or three Zags at this point, who have played in the major leagues so far this season. Gonzaga, obviously the baseball team, has been a big story this season and last season. Two of the most successful years in program history under Coach Mark Metcalf. But they have been successful long before that. Uh, They have put multiple players through the minor leagues uh, and into the big leagues for for baseball. Uh, They've had a lot of success, mostly on the bump, uh, a lot of success in the pitching realm. They have had some hitters who have have had some success. Taylor Jones, who has not made it to the major leagues yet this season. He was in the big leagues the last couple of years with the Houston Astros. So certainly could end up having some bats or at least a bat back in the major leagues this season. But for right now, it has been all arms. All pitchers for the Zags will start with the most notable name currently pitching in the major leagues that came out of Gonzaga. That is, of course, Seattle Mariners left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez. Marco has made seven starts for the Mariners this season. He has a 1-4 record. I like to point out that judging pitchers based on their win-loss record is very, very much a fallacy and something that I think a lot of Seattle Mariners fans are more used to remembering. Uh, the, the Seattle Mariners fans who certainly may remember 10 or 15 years ago Man, that makes me feel very old when Felix Hernandez was the Cy Young winner despite having a, I believe, 13-12 and 12 record that year or maybe a 12-13 and 13 record. Uh, and there was a lot of debate about how can you give the Cy Young to a pitcher who didn't win 
you know, who, who didn't have a very good winning record. And it's because his stuff was absolutely dominant, but the rest of the team, he, he, he can't hit. He's not, he's not there to hit and try to drive in runs. So it's a little unfair to judge them based on that. Indeed, with Marco, 1-4 record, but he's got a 3.38 ERA, uh, which is very, very good. He's got a 107 ERA+. Plus. ERA+, plus is an advanced statistic that is basically used to determine what league averages and whether you are above or below league average. 100 is the baseline for completely average. So for Marco to have a 107 ERA+, plus means he has been slightly above average as a major league pitcher so far this season, which is why him having a 1-4 record is a bit misleading. He absolutely does dominated the Houston Astros in the second start of the season. Seven innings in that game only gave up one run. A flat-out dominant performance. He then got hit by a comebacker in the third game, or excuse me, the fourth game of the season and exited after just getting one out in that game. It looked like he might be out for a while, but he returned and has made three solid starts since then. So Marco is well on his way to another productive season for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, hopefully they can turn things around a little bit and get the crowd back excited in Mariners baseball for the f- not the first time in a while. They were excited last year, but hopefully a second consecutive summer of being excited about the Mariners heading into the fall. Next up, Eli Morgan. Eli Morgan pitches for the Cleveland Guardians. This is his second season in the big leagues. He has made s- seven appearances For Cleveland this year, one of them was a start on the mound. The rest were coming out of the bullpen. He has a 3.68 ERA and a 0.75 whip on the season. Whip is walks and hits per innings pitched, which means that per every inning he gives up, he is allowing about three-fourths of a base runner. Uh, So very, very good numbers there. Marcos is about double that. So shout out to Eli for being very good at keeping runners off the bases. He has 16 strikeouts and only three walks on the season. That is part of the reason that whip is so low is that he is keeping the ball in the strike zone. He is not walking a lot of hitters. He has a 102 ERA plus. So he's just been slightly above league average so far this season. He's playing this kind of swingman role out of the bullpen. Sometimes Cleveland asks him to throw as many as three innings coming out of the bullpen, which is historically been pretty unusual in Major League Baseball. It has changed a little bit over the last few years as teams are starting to realize that using their bullpen arms for more innings can sometimes be helpful. Uh, You can have a starter who only goes a couple innings and instead of throwing 80% or 90% for seven innings, they're throwing 100% for three innings. Then you have a guy like Eli Morgan come in and throw three innings of baseball as well before you get to your traditional bullpen. It's kind of been a, a slow and steady shift in Major League Baseball, and Eli is kind of one of those guys that's being utilized in this sort of new, more mainstream, modern role uh, in Major League Baseball. Next up, going back to Seattle, that is Wyatt Mills. Wyatt Mills is a relief pitcher for the Mariners. He was a third-round pick a couple of years ago, drafted mostly so the team could save some money and sign one of their other draft picks that year, but Wyatt was pretty likely to be a big leaguer and so far has done so. He made the big leagues last year and has been up with the Mariners at times this season as well. He has made seven appearances out of the bullpen. That means seven games for Wyatt Mills, Eli Morgan, and Marco Gonzalez. Just a funny coincidence that that ended up happening. Uh, In those seven games, Wyatt Mills has a 3.12 ERA and a 0.69 whip. He has six strikeouts and just one walk on the season. And his ERA plus is 120, which is well over what Marco and Eli have posted. Wyatt has thrown way less innings than either of those guys. I believe Marco's over 20 innings pitched. Eli's around 17 innings pitched. And Wyatt is at 8 
innings pitched. So these are very, very tiny sample sizes. Uh, not super indicative of how the rest of the season is going to go necessarily, but seeing Wyatt get off to a very good start this year is is great. The Mariners have some spots potentially open in their bullpen. They've always had some injury issues down there. They've lost a few guys. Eric Swanson's on the IL right now. Drew Steckenreiter did not travel with Seattle to Toronto, likely because of his vaccination status. So we're seeing some potential opportunities for White Mills to carve out a significant role in Seattle's bullpen. He does not throw super hard, but he comes from a really, really unique arm angle. His right arm extends basically directly parallel to his body. It is a sidearm mechanics. It's very, very unique, very, very hard for hitters to pick up where the ball is coming from so he's, he's been able to succeed because of that and I'm excited to see how he's, he's been scoreless in five of his seven outings this year so he's taken the bump seven different times and five of those times he left the game without giving up a run that is pretty darn good and if you're Seattle you got to start thinking hey maybe we should give this guy a few more innings on the year Last guy here that I wanted to talk about, he has not pitched in the big leagues yet this season. That is Brandon Bailey. Brandon Bailey, a former guest of the ScoreZag Score podcast, friend of the show. Uh, he is returning from Tommy John's surgery. He has been rehabbing very, very hard. He made his major league debut in 2020 with the Houston Astros, is now with the Cincinnati Reds in their organization, but has not pitched in a big league game for a while because of his recovery from this injury. However, he is back and healthy. He's throwing 97 miles per hour, which he was about 95, if that, when he was in the big leagues in 2020. So he has worked his ass off to get back in baseball playing shape, throwing harder than he ever has before. He posted about it on Twitter. It caused a little bit of controversy and drama because he was posting mostly to celebrate himself and to celebrate this accomplishment and to let fans know that he's on his way back. A lot of people took his post to mean that uh, you should get Tommy John surgery in order to throw harder, which is a outdated thought process that a lot of people used to have. Uh, but Tommy John surgery is very invasive. There's no guarantee that you're going to come back from it healthy at all. Uh, you are out for you cannot throw for an entire year. It is monumentally risky to get that surgery if you don't absolutely need it. For Brandon Bailey to finally make the big leagues in 2020 in this very weird, unique season, for him to make the choice to get Tommy John surgery and risk the rest of his career would have been ludicrous. I know that he did not do that. He took the, the option to take Tommy John surgery because it was the only option available to him, and then he worked his butt off to get back into game-throwing shape to the point where he is now and throwing 97 miles an hour. So I want to give him a tremendous individual shout-out for how hard he worked, for being proud of himself, for posting it on Twitter, and an apology for people taking it the wrong way uh, and kind of turning this fun, feel-good story into something else. Uh, because I know that that's not what it was. I've seen people go through Tommy John surgery. Nobody would wish that upon themselves. It is a horrific deal to have to go through and to come out of it on the other end as good or better than you were before. Uh, while that is a story we see a fair amount, uh, it is not necessarily necessarily by any stretch of the imagination easy to do so shout out to him for doing that and i'm excited to see him in the big leagues uh, soon soon this season all right we're gonna come back in the third segment at some point we're gonna take a look at all, all of the zags playing minor league baseball we're gonna talk about uh, brad harris we're gonna talk about alec jacob we're gonna talk about all those guys uh, we'll do that in another episode later probably either this week or next week but for now we're gonna come back in the third segment and we're gonna preview the ducks we're gonna take a look at this big time game happening tuesday night in Eugene against the Oregon Ducks, what it means for Gonzaga's tournament hopes and dreams. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books. 
with the win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag. Still talking Gonzaga baseball here as the season rolls on for them. They got a big one Tuesday night in Eugene, Oregon against the Mighty Ducks. This is a big, big, big game for Gonzaga. I I, I feel like I'm walking myself back a little bit because I've talked up how the Tuesday games, the midweek games against power conference schools are, are typically not as critical for how a team is perceived uh, by the voting committee, by the regionals, all of that stuff, because these games don't feature the team's best players, uh, especially if their best players are pitchers. You know, for Gonzaga, we're not going to see Gabriel Hughes, who's one of the best pitchers in all of college baseball. We're not going to see him against the Ducks on Tuesday. We're not going to see Tristan Vreeling. We're not going to see Owen Wilde. And we're probably not going to see William Kempner. All four of those guys pitched a significant amount over the weekend against Santa Clara. So it's for me, it's always a little tough to judge. Like, is Gonzaga going up against Oregon when Gonzaga is not playing you know, their best starting pitchers. Is that necessarily fair? Of course, Oregon is not playing their best starting pitchers. Either of those guys played last week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That team, I think they swept Arizona State over the last weekend. So they're coming in with some momentum. Uh, the reason that this game is so big, even though Tuesday games are not always big, is because these two teams are kind of right on the cusp of competing to host a regional. The Ducks have lost enough games recently. They're now a 20-loss team, 31-21 and 21 on the season, that I think their odds of hosting a regional are fairly slim. It looks more likely that they are going to play, uh, be one of the top two seeds in the country. So there's 16-1 seeds, 16-2 seeds. That's kind of how it works. There's 16 different regionals all spread out across the country, depending on the teams that are hosting a regional. That's what we're hoping Gonzaga will be able to do. Uh, A lot of places, including D1 Baseball and Kendall Rogers, who does a lot of tournament predictions for them. A lot of places have Gonzaga as the 16th number one seed. So they would host, they'd be the final team that is hosting a regional and the team that they are playing is the Oregon Ducks. So this could end up being a preview of a regional tournament game. It could end up being a game to determine one of the final spots uh, in terms of a team hosting a regional. Uh, there's a lot of different kind of stakes at play here for, for what is just a late season Tuesday midweek game, which typically don't carry a lot of weight. But this game has some has some cachet to it, has some uh, significance for both teams and kind of where they're going to end up when the, when the season ends up uh, Finishing up here, and and the the Ducks are thirty one and twenty one. Like I said on the season, they're only fifteen and twelve in Pac twelve play. The Pac twelve obviously is a very tough baseball conference, so it's not shocking to see them struggle a little bit there. But if you're barely five hundred in your league, it's hard to imagine you're a top sixteen team and worthy of host hosting a regional. Uh, they do got three more games in the tournament or in the Pac twelve season. They're going to play Arizona. Arizona is currently ranked twenty fifth in the country, so that is not going to be an easy trip 
for the Ducks. They dropped three or four to USD to begin the season. So this is a team that has played some of the opponents that Gonzaga has already played. They also took two of three from Stanford, who was ranked number two at the time. Then they got swept by Oregon State, and then they took two from Arizona State. It's a really unpredictable Oregon team. That's kind of the main point. We've seen them get absolutely smoked by very, very good teams. We've seen them get smoked by bad teams. We've seen them beat up on good teams, again, taking two of three from Stanford, who is the number two team in the country. Like, this Oregon team, when they are playing well, can beat every single team in the country, but they have also lost a lot of bad games. Now, they did play Gonzaga already. This is not the first time these two teams have played. They played back in March. At that time, Oregon won 9-5 to in that game. And I looked back at the box score of that game to try to see if we could get a sense of what Oregon might try to do here against Gonzaga on Tuesday. And Oregon threw eight different pitchers against Gonzaga. The, the, I think the longest anybody went was one and two-thirds innings. They just basically went up and down the bullpen through a different guy pretty much every single inning. Uh, when you have the depth and the ability to do that, you save the rest of your starting pitchers for the weekend, which is definitely something Gonzaga wants to do. They or Oregon wants to do. Excuse me. They want to beat Gonzaga. Don't get me wrong. They want to win this game, but they also really want to win all three games against Arizona. So they're not going to throw their Friday starter, their Saturday starter, their Sunday starter. But apparently, if any, if history is any indication, they're going to be willing to throw just about everybody else at the Zags on Tuesday in order to try to secure a victory there. Uh, Gonzaga, last time these two teams met, they went with Cade McGee and Bradley Mullen through the first, I think, six-ish innings combined between the two of them. Alec Gomez threw one inning in that game, but it's worth wondering if he will get an opportunity to start against the Ducks on Tuesday after he absolutely dominated the University of Washington Huskies a few weeks ago, seven shutout innings against UW. Uh, pretty reasonable that the, that the Zags might give him another opportunity here uh, against Oregon, who is a more potent offense than UW, to be clear. This is a better team than the Huskies, but Gomez absolutely shut them down, and it's reasonable to think that he has the ability to do so against Oregon as well. We're not going to see Kempner and Owen Wild, uh, both those guys, through over four innings against Santa Clara on Sunday. It was awesome to see the Zags do that for the record. We've been discussing, like, are they going to piggyback Kempner and Owen Wild? Kempner was hurt for a few weeks. He was normally their Sunday starter. When he was hurt, Owen Wild kind of took over that role and was just as good as Kempner was, if not better. Those two guys were awesome this entire season. And so against uh, Santa Clara on Sunday, they just threw both of them. Just say, you get four innings of Kempner, you get four innings of Owen Wild. Let's see what you can do. And the Zags, of course, pulled off a victory in that one. So unfortunately, we won't see those guys on two days rest against the Ducks. That would be malpractice to try to throw those guys in that game. So we're going to see some other arms. I expect to see a lot of Alec Gomez. I wouldn't be surprised to see McGee and Mullen again for Gonzaga against the Oregon Ducks. Uh, but yeah, this game would be a huge, huge victory for Oregon, or excuse me, for Gonzaga. It helps uh, secure regional hosting duties. Uh, again, Oregon is one of the few teams that is kind of competing for that last spot. If Gonzaga beats them on Tuesday, they pretty much push them out of the running for hosting one of those final regional spots. Uh, again, the Ducks do close with three games against a ranked team in Arizona, so they have the ability to make up some ground if they win two or even all three of those games. But the Zags, of course, have a similar ability as well. They got three games on the road against the Toreros of San Diego to close out the week. 
If they can win two of those games or even three of those games, they're definitely going to cement their status as a team hosting a regional, could push themselves all the way up into the potential super regional category or conversation. A super regional is if you are one of the top eight teams, you not only host the first round, but you would host the second round as well. I speculated on Monday's podcast that the Zags are probably unlikely to host a super regional. I'm not sure that the committee, uh, that the voters are going to necessarily put them in that position, but if they beat Oregon on Tuesday and then they turn around and sweep a very good San Diego squad on the road, they're going to have to be a part of that conversation. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Very excited for Tuesday's game against the Ducks. Look for a recap of that as the week goes on. we got more baseball talk coming your way, folks. We're also going to take a look at all of the Zags who are finishing up their seasons overseas in Europe. Kyle Wilcher won a championship. Josh Perkins and Jeremy Jones changed teams. Gino Crandall is an MVP. All sorts of very, very fun stuff coming in a different episode later this week right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!